This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Recovery. This is a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here, and I am a sex addict. Um, I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I'm excited about today's episode. We have um, I have with me here Dr. Aaron Glade, who, as you all know, was my first therapist in recovery and uh, taught me a lot of the things that I share with you um, over this podcast, over these different episodes, and and has really impacted my life in so many different ways. I feel like really is one of the reasons I still have a life uh, that I enjoy living. But I'm excited today because we're gonna talk about one of Aaron's passions and one of the things that he really enjoys working with clients about, and that is trauma. I've invited Aaron to be with us today because I get so many questions from you guys about trauma. How, what is trauma? How does trauma work and play in our lives and addiction? How do we work through trauma? What do we do to get through it? And I've mentioned some of the tools that Aaron's has taught me and I've referenced things like capital T and lowercase t trauma. And I thought rather than get it secondhand, why not get it straight from him? And so I'd like to give Aaron an opportunity here to talk a little bit about trauma. Thank you, Amy. Um, all right, so uh, let's see, where do I start? Um, first, first I, I'm gonna start a little boring and just give you a definition of trauma and, and what trauma is. Um, so on the one hand, you could define trauma as anything less than nurturing, right? I, I've heard that, right? And which is, that could be anything, right? But, but if you think about it beyond just some of the obvious things, right, think about that, that there's, there are many things that could induce um, trauma or, or, uh, or emo- an emotional response. And that each person is going to experience that differently and process it differently. So what may be traumatic for me is not necessarily going to be traumatic for you mm-hmm. uh, and vice versa. So um, that's, that's a key to, to remember is, is it's, it's not about looking at the specific incident or, or what happened exactly um, but it's really how the person experiences it and processes it, or and the, it process maybe it. the results in their life mm-hmm. like how how that impacted them yeah so how they process and how they experience it is going to then uh, determine whether they experience you know, post-traumatic stress or, or you know, other, other sort of things that come out of their trauma mm-hmm. uh, and then there are some who um, who don't necessarily in the, a similar experience don't necessarily um, process it as a traumatic event so just that's sort of just a uh, an initial sort of definition there but let me give you a, a definition that just sort of a working definition let's see psychological trauma is a type of damage to the psyche that occurs as the result of a severely distressing event it's often the result of an overwhelming amount of stress that exceeds one of one's ability to cope or to integrate the emotions involved with that experience so that could be many things right so um, think about uh, this idea that, um, so you, you mentioned capital T, lowercase t, 
when people usually think of trauma, they think capital T. Right? And when I say capital T, what I mean is there are events uh, in people's lives uh, that we can uh, all kind of look at and most sane people will point to that and put their finger on it and say, yeah, that's traumatic, right? Um, Things like? Going to war. Right? Okay. Think about what happens to, to our uh, service members that go to war and they come back and they've experienced some horrific things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yet they might not process it as even impactful until you go back and look at right. how this is playing out in their life. But These sound kind of like socially acceptable things that are traumatic. Yeah, sexual yeah. assault, going to war, and they tend sexual to be, abuse. They tend to be events, right? These uh-huh. are, and now some of them are ongoing, uh-huh. right? um, and then uh, and some of them might happen once, but but they're traumatic, right? Um, but then again, there are some that are uh, what I call less impactful in and of that moment or on a single time. In fact, in, uh, in Patrick Carden's book, The Betrayal Bond, mm-hmm. there's just a little figure in there. It's a very simple little figure, but it, it's like this little um, uh, graph, you know, and it has on one is the uh, intensity and then the other is the frequency, right? Mm-hmm. So high intensity one time could be very, very impactful. High intensity frequent, you know, is even more, right? Um, low intensity, but over a long period of time can also be very impactful. So uh, what's happened is, is we've, we, you know, I don't know who came up with this first <laughs> or started calling, you know, this capital T traumas, that high intensity uh, trauma, lowercase t, maybe the lower intensity in and of that single moment, but happens over time and piles up. Yeah, so like one time, maybe people wouldn't consider it impactful, right? Mm-hmm. If this lowercase t trauma happens one time. Yeah. But if it happened, you know, a thousand times over exactly. even a period of 10 or maybe even 20 years, right? That it's, the, that it's incredibly impactful. Mm-hmm. As impactful maybe as capital T trauma can be even fre- like even yes. less frequently, yes, like one exactly. time. Exactly, so um, examples of that is, I, one thing I use all the time is look, I'm, I'm a parent uh, and, and I am not a perfect parent every day. In fact, I make mistakes every day, right? There are times I yell or times I don't meet my children's needs where I do or say something that hurts their feelings, mm-hmm. right? And, and the key is whether, um, whether that is consistent over time um, or whether I make amends when that does happen and, and go back and, and seek to improve, right? And, uh, and yet for children, say, right, that experience neglect or experience um, emotional abuse frequently over time, that adds up, mm-hmm. right? And so these, uh, what we, we've started to call lowercase t traumas, we've learned, are very, very impactful and can have similar outcomes uh, as these capital T traumas. So, uh, let's. I, I want to rewind a little bit though, and just talk about what happens in the brain mm-hmm. around trauma, because um, now uh, I must admit I am a marriage and family therapist, right? My my training is in systems theory, and then treating trauma and and treating addiction. Um, but I've learned from the neurosurgeons and neuroscientists and, and neurologists about how the brain works. Um, and a lot of this work comes from some people, uh, Bessel van der Kolk is, is a 
very, very good um, resource if you ever look into trauma. He's amazing. His books are amazing. Um, there's some others as well, but um, he's one. Um, uh, Don Hilton is another. He's a neurosurgeon who's been writing about addiction mm-hmm. and what happens in the brain around addiction. Uh, uh, wonderful. Um, but uh, what what they found is, so there's the, the center of our brain, the, the very top above the brain stem is the amygdala. That's the center that that is the fight or flight center of our brain. And it's the part that, that uh, initially registers stress and tells us what to do, right? If we're mm-hmm. in trouble, what do we do? Do we, uh, do we fight? Do we fi- uh, fly or you know, go away? Or do we freeze sometimes, right? And, um, and so that does things like sends messages in our, in our body to um, kick out adrenaline and cortisol. Uh, which are necessary in those short-term bursts when mm-hmm. we need them, um, but can actually become very toxic in our body for when it's long-term. And uh, and so what happens when we experience trauma, if it's big T or little t, our brain encodes that and it changes our brain on how we react to situations. Uh, it it can change, especially if it's frequent. But if it's even a, a major event that that happens once can encode in our brain um, this uh, you know sort of our 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 set point around what is uh, disturbing or not, and if mm-hmm. that is not processed right emotionally processed and understood and and worked through, you know that we can get in situations where our brain where we feel like we're in that moment or we relive in it, if not flashback but just emotionally. We relive it. It changes our set point around how we react. So, uh, some one of the ways that I um, describe it as uh, young people now probably have never seen a stereo that had those little needles on it <laughs> when we were kids, right? And and there was that line that's sort of green, yellow, and then red, right? right? And if you do your right. red, you're going to blow your speakers and your amp out, right? Right. But um, what happens is is so for people that have experienced significant trauma. They go almost in under stress, go instantly to red. Right, their their brain is encoded that under stress you go to red, and that could be something that's a relatively small stressor. Mm-hmm. Right? That someone who has an experienced trauma wouldn't necessarily go all the way to red, and so um, so they get stuck. Now the question is, um, you know, how do we deal with it? But mm-hmm. so we talked to someone about the big T trauma, right? Those are those things that are kind of obviously trauma and we can kind of put our finger on it and we have ways to resolve that. Um, but the what we call lowercase t trauma, which for a lot of people is sort of news, right? Like, what do you mean lowercase t? And then some people get upset because they're like, lowercase t, why are you saying it? it's nothing? I, I'm not saying it's nothing. In fact, it's very impactful. It's more common and, and more insidious because we don't recognize it. Right, mm-hmm. um, well, not more insidious. There's a lot of horrible things that can happen, but but it's difficult because we don't recognize it. And then you go on and you come to therapy when you're however old, thirty something years old, and you say, "I didn't have trauma. You know, what happened <laughs> in my life, right? What? I why, why do I do that? these things?" And so, but then but then we start looking. So things. I just you know I made a little list here. I'm going to read off things like attachment trauma, which is big. In fact, I think most of this stuff that we call lowercase t trauma is attachment trauma. Um, and uh, uh, emotional abuse, abandonment, uh, rejection by a parent, 
um, enmeshment, extreme enmeshment or disengagement in, mm-hmm. in a family, right? So either either end of that, right? The extreme disengaged, where for you know adults where they just there's hardly any bonding with their parents because there was just this disengagement and they sat in the room all the time, or extreme enmeshment when we're not allowed to have our own feelings or thoughts or ideas, right? And uh, and we get stuck in this um, family, you know, enmeshment that just you can't break free from, mm-hmm. right? And that's traumatic. Um, covert incest, that is one. I said that once to a client and you'd have seen his head blow up if it was a cartoon, right? It just, yeah. uh, this idea of covert uh, sexual um, behavior. So not overt incest, right? Or not overt uh, sexual abuse, but this covert sexual abuse that, that can happen between parents where there's unhealthy sexualization or unhealthy um, relationships around sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see it sometimes with uh, boys and, and an unhealthy mom that they become their um, surrogate emotional spouse, right? And there it becomes laden with sexual undertones, right? And um, happens between fathers and daughters as well. So, um, would you consider like lack of sex education or lack of information covert sexual abuse? Or does that fall into neglect? How could, does that well, work let's, out? I mean, let's think about it. It could be, right? Think about shaming around sex. Right. And shaming around around uh, what happens if, if there's extreme shame about um, sexual behavior or mm-hmm. development or, or um, like, um, parent finds a kid's, you know, playboy or, or knows that they've been masturbating and they're shamed for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's extremely abusive, right? Yeah, it's emotionally abusive, and that person then learns to shame themselves, right? Or I've hurt my parents, right? I've hurt my my mom or dad, and I now I'm bad, and now I have to go repent or go to you know this, you hear you, you religious abuse, you hear mm-hmm. the, you see that, right? And so this this level of uh, shaming uh, around sexuality is it can be incredibly impactful. In fact, that's that's where a lot of this, the sexual addiction grow out of that mm-hmm. extreme shaming around sexual abuse, right? I mean, there's sort of this cocktail of things that, that it feeds off, and that's one of them. Yeah. yeah. So so this idea of, like, t- I'm going to talk really you know, briefly about attachment uh, trauma, right? So back in the 60s, there were a lot of researchers doing uh, research around how parents and children attached, right? Bowlby, John, John Bowlby, and and then Mary Ainsworth was one of his students, and she did this, what she called the stranger situation, a strange situation. She'd put the kids I in remember. a room. I remember, yeah. Put the kids in a room, and, and then mom will play this toddler or whatever, and then stranger will come in, and mom leaves, and mom comes back, and there's sort of this procedure that they do, but they observe how the children react when mom comes back, right? And when, the, when they call the secure attachment, where she would allow mom, she or he, the baby, would uh-huh. allow mom to uh, comfort them when they came back. Um, there was one they called an ambivalent attachment, where the child would s- sort of let mom, but not really, they wouldn't really engage with mom when they came back. There's one they called avoidant, where the child would hardly react at all when the stranger came in or when mom came back. Um, and these unhealthy attachment styles uh, for whatever reason, grow out of you know usually when there's inconsistent parenting or or neglectful and, and our needs aren't being met emotionally, we mm-hmm. learn not to reach out. And this is, you know, I've I've known people um, 
somebody I, I know actually a foster parent to young children and they came in at a very young age even just you know one and a half and three and a half I think and without knowing much about their life situation before uh, yeah. came in and and uh, and it would became very evident they had experienced or witnessed violence in the home and neglect mm-hmm. right and and now the good news is at that young age it took a long time it wasn't just weeks it's been years of working on on, on attaching to now to secure uh, caregivers mm-hmm. right where they can and it take them takes a long time and now but you can imagine for for and, and and yet still and made struggle for a long time in their life around around attachment and, and anxiety and, and stuff around secure attachment but but you think about adults the same thing who experience uh, attachment or, or parental figures that that couldn't meet their needs now here's the thing is most of our parents do a pretty good job and most of our parents do the best that they can yeah that doesn't mean though that even though you know, I consider my parents pretty normal parents that uh, did the best they can and yet I still have my own issues around attachment <laughs> and security in a relationship right mm-hmm. and, and so our parents don't necessarily meet all our needs as we need them right and so are we attached we have developed these attachment styles and sometimes it's more avoidant sometimes it's uh, you know more ambivalent or fearful and 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 that comes out especially when we experience you know sort of the more severe end on this this often comes out in in uh, addiction think mm-hmm. about how seeking seeking attachment seeking um, relationships that will meet these unmet emotional needs mm-hmm. and serial relationships or seeking um, trying to find some intensity trying to find something that will meet this emotional need that doesn't necessarily um, that they're not seeking out in a healthy way right, right? Um, ironically I meet a lot of people who when they're struggling with pornography addictions um, you if you look at what they're really wanting and what they're really needing is is I'm looking for someone that loves me and cares about me and accepts me as I am and uh, and is interested in me and and values me and they're going to porn for that right right not because they necessarily believe that that's what they're getting when they look at porn. They just you know get into their cycle and, and do what they do. But but when they really break down that fantasy and when it's projected, it's I'm valuable. Someone cares about me. And they're not going to reject me, mm-hmm. right? And now they realize later they're just getting a pseudo form of that and it doesn't last and it's not healthy and all of that. But but you may or may not be surprised how many people that's at the core of what they're they're really looking for. Right. Well, that's, I, and that's what that's about. That's about attachment. That's about right. security in a relationship. That's about feeling okay. You know, right. who they are. I remember, you know, working with you early on, like writing down, I think, really early, the like my fears list or different things mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. and one of the things like, you know, I'm afraid no one, no one's gonna love me. Like no one's gonna accept me. And I mm-hmm. remember the phrase you used to always use was like warts and all. Right. Like they're gonna like know everything about you and accept you, you know, and that, that fear of rejection and that, you know, wanting that secure attachment that, you know, I can be accepted was huge for me. That was a big part of my trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you think about um, now, what do we do? Right? Yeah, so like, this well, question of, 
what do we so do? So we have this trauma here, right? And we can talk about it a lot, and people do talk therapy. For some people, that really works. There are some simple things that, that I do. The old old style, there's a term people use called um, empty chair, where you sort of talk to the empty chair, what, what oh, you yeah, want to yeah. say. Mm-hmm. And I, I do a different version of that, uh, but, um, but I... I and this goes back to when I was in graduate school, I think I was sitting with somebody once who was dealing with uh, trauma. And I just said, you know, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to write a letter. But it's a letter you're never going to send, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't know who this person is or where they are. But um, but it's a letter you're never going to send, right? And then, so, you know, they go back and they write a letter. And, and then we bring it back in. And then we, we even write more. We, we go over and we write more, revise it, or do things. And, and uh, I know how people do that with their parents, right? Write a letter you're never going to send, uh, brother, whoever, right? Mm-hmm. Could be anyone. And we go over it and over and over. And um, and for whatever reason, that's a part that there's a process that happens in not just talking about it, but actually writing. So using the front part of your brain, mm-hmm. hopefully integrating some of the emotions that are that are there with the other side of the brain, you know? mm-hmm. and um, and it. You know, that's just one example, right? Sometimes people get it to a point where they want to send it to the parent or whatever. Um, never the first version, because <laughs> that's why I say the first yeah. version, put whatever you want in <laughs> swear, do whatever you want, and then, and, uh, and then eventually, you know, it changes. Right. right. And, um, well, and that's what, that's what I did with you around mm-hmm. this relationship I had with Steve, this mm-hmm. guy Steve. And uh, we went through, I mean, I think it took me three months probably to get through like just all of the stuff and different versions and you know get to get to the end where I had you know a version I mean I never sent it Mm -hmm. but just a version that kind of encapsulated Mm -hmm. you know the trauma that happened and and different things for me and that's still I have an electronic version of it and I still sometimes when things come up around that whole thing I will read that letter Mm -hmm. like and use and I've used it several times and just reading that letter to let go of that and help process through when that trauma gets triggered. Yeah, and so, I mean, on the, there's just the, what I on on the surface, you're writing out your emotions and you're writing out this letter, things I really would want to say. But internally, what I believe is happening is it's your brain, kind of the emotions being processed and and uh, being able to process the, the intellectual side and the emotional side of the brain and and actually work through the emotions that are stuck about it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then and then all of a sudden now it's processed. I can let that go. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean it doesn't. Other things don't pop up. But but you're actually processing that. And that's mm-hmm. a that's a very simple tool that I use with people. It's just a kind of a straightforward thing. Um, uh, and there are there are others sort of like that. And then there are of course some very specific treatment uh, protocols that. People will get trained for years, or mm-hmm. you know, for a significant amount of time to, to do EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. The very well known and well researched uh, approach to treating trauma, um, which has to do with it's it it doesn't always have to do with eye movement, but um, stimulating uh, they call it bilateral uh, stimulation, which is stimulating the the two hemispheres of the brain. So either through eye movement or you can do sound or sensations, usually a vibrating pulse mm-hmm. pulser in your hand. Um, that helps then to stimulate movement of, of information across the hemispheres of the brain from the emotional side to the logical side and back and forth. 
and, and to help process that. Now, that EMDR has been known to be very good with, with big T kind of event traumas, um, and, but others have developed protocols around treating attachment, attachment-focused EMDR. Um, Laurel Parnell has developed that. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting uh, uh, approach and, and um, has its own protocols around that. So EMDR is a very good uh, approach. Uh, lifespan integration is another. Um, somatic experiencing, I'm not trained in that, uh, and it's a, but it's a very, it has to do with um, how trauma gets stored in the body and, and being able to um, uh, pay attention and focus on it and experience the, the trauma that's actually in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know enough about that because I'm not <laughs> trained in it. Right. Very interesting. I've heard wonderful things about it, especially for um, from people who have experienced physical traumas, mm-hmm. physical and sexual traumas. So um, one of those things on my wish list, if I had a wish list of everything I'd want to learn, that would be one of them. But, yeah. Um, so, I mean, outside of these specific tools like writing mm-hmm. a letter, things like that, EMDR, mm-hmm. Uh, lifespan integration mm-hmm. and then somatic experiences yeah. are kind of Ex- the those are those are three, three. that are that are um, there are, you know I'm sure there are others I'm sure there's there, others but, right but um, those are uh, things like uh, people talk about body work yoga being mm-hmm. a, a way um, mindfulness uh, which is uh, a form of uh, of uh, meditation and being able to be present just physically and mentally with your body and yourself so those are these are all ways to begin that process I, I guess the, the thing that I always stress with people is you don't have to do it alone you've experienced trauma uh, don't do it alone and, and you need help to, to work through that it's, it's I'm not gonna do surgery if I have to remove my gallbladder on myself you know right um, and, and you need that help you need someone to walk you through um, now, there are a lot of people out there that do MDR, and I'm sure there's different levels of who's better than others. I, I tend to find that, especially if, you've, if you're also dealing with addiction and trauma, right? mm-hmm. um, because not all, not all people who have experienced trauma are addicts, but it's really good to, get some, to work with someone um, that deals with both because they're going to be able to understand the addiction side as well. Right. I just think that'd be important. Um, and and allow yourself time to work through this. It's not a speed to the end. Mm-hmm. It, is a, it is a slow step-by-step process and, um, and it takes a lot of courage as people do it. And you've, you've experienced your own work over the last several years, right? And it's step-by-step process. And uh, in fact, I remember uh, at one point as as I was in the process of trying to pawn you off to somebody that was local. Um, and, and I said something Lovingly about- Lovingly pawn me yes, off, right? Yes, because okay. I knew, okay. yeah. I, 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 I'm just kidding. I knew that I, I couldn't do the work from 900 miles away that right. needed, right? right? Right, And it was just part of that process and knew it was going to happen and and it wasn't ethical for me to keep doing that and it was necessary to to get you someone that, mm-hmm. that you could actually be in the room with um, but but that I, I, I can't remember the exact um, I mentioned EMDR and I mentioned trauma and I got uh, an email after that uh, you know it was a long email about do I need EMDR? Do I need? EMDR? Are you saying that? I mean, it was like this panicking. I don't know if you remember that. I do uh, only remember that. Um, 
but but it was this question, and you know, I said, hey, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly what you need. I just know that this is something you're going to do, but you need someone that's there in person to do right. it. And, and um, and but it, but it'd be important because you need to start working on this uh, attachment trauma, mm-hmm. right? And and that was just it was there, and, mm-hmm. and it was just something that you needed to start that process on. And you were at that point in your recovery that that's where you were. Yeah, and I've done some EMDR yeah. sessions with my current therapist, mm-hmm. and it's been incredibly helpful. Yeah, yeah. I always I always tell people, look, EMDR is weird, but it works. Yeah, and and it's based on in brain science around what happens in your brain and how memory gets stored, mm-hmm. and and the idea of the bilateral stimulation or the eye movement has to do with stimulating crossing, across crossing right. the hemispheres of the brain, so on bilateral stimulation, and and um, and so it it is based in in that idea, and so yeah, it's it's weird, but it works. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and pause this interview right here, our interview with Dr. Glade about trauma and addiction, before we have a big, massive change of subject. And we'll continue and pick up this interview in our next episode, episode 68, in the continuation of this series about trauma and addiction. I'm grateful for Dr. Glade and for his willingness to share his expertise with us online so that you can learn from them as well. I felt like I learned so much from him And trauma is something that's difficult to deal with. It's something I'm still dealing with in my life. But I'm grateful for the things that I've learned, and I'm grateful for his willingness to share that with all of us. As always, ladies, remember that no matter how you feel right now, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how traumatic some of those experiences that you have had are, because we all have our traumatic experiences from the past, you are worth recovery, 100% worth it. I know that. And if you don't, you can just rely on my knowledge until you feel that way. As always, please remember that I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. I hope you have a fantastic day. Until next time, Amy. of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.